Well, I have a uh, poster in my office that says uh, go hard every day. Uh, I can't say I do that every single day, but I think if you do something every single day, even if it's not going hard, if you do a little bit of something, uh, those add up. And I'm talking, you know, if, if you don't work 365 days a year, that's fine. Uh, and I don't, I wouldn't say I do, but most days, whether I'm at home or at the office, I'm doing something with the website. I'm doing something with my investment package, doing something towards what I want to focus on. And eventually those baby steps add up. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Adam Craig. He's been in real estate for a number of years, but then he transitioned to commercial real estate. And we go in today, some challenges that he faced, how he overcame them, how he started raising money, and even how, you know, with the first five or six investors that he received, he got them quickly, right? They already trusted him as from previous relationships or friends and family. But you know what? After that, it was much more difficult. Uh, and we talk about some things he had to do, uh, whether it's some skills that he had to sharpen to some systems he had to put in place uh, that helped him to improve his ability to raise money. Even how the pandemic affected his business and what that did for him. You're going to learn a lot today, especially if you are a, a newer operator. You're going to hear things that Adam talks about today that are going to help you and hopefully motivate you to improve your systems, sharpen your skills so you can do the same things that he has done. But he's a founder and managing member of CLE Real Estate Group, a real estate investment company located outside of Cleveland, Ohio. Over the past decade, he has accumulated a rental portfolio of 51 units, topping $7 million in residential and commercial real estate. The key to Adam's success is a genuine passion and enthusiasm for real estate investing and helping others. Adam, welcome to the show. Honored to meet you and have you as a guest. I know you said you'd listen to the show for a while, so it's neat to see that happen. And you're doing big things up there in Cleveland, Ohio. And so looking forward to hearing more about that. Tell us a little bit about your focus right now in commercial real estate and what you're up to. Sure thing. Thank you for having me on. I've listened to a lot of your episodes and you guys are doing great work over there. So first off, I just want to say that. So I am about a 10-year veteran in the real estate investing industry. Started in 2013, uh, freshly out of college. Did the uh, single family route for about seven years. Um, I wouldn't say I'm out of single families, but I have transitioned a little more into commercial real estate, office space, mini strip plazas, a couple restaurants. So that's where we're at now. After experiencing the commercial side of things, the single family side is still not nice because you can make a lot of money doing it. But when it comes to economy of scale, uh, nothing beats uh, the commercial side of things. So that's pretty much where I'm at now. We're exclusively doing commercial deals. Nice. Now, what uh, specific asset class are you all focused on at the moment? I would like to say it would be, you know, large scale apartments, which is where I thought I was going to be going. But three years ago, I, I did what we consider a, an office hack. Uh, I had a three year old and a newborn and working at home was not working anymore. So I was looking for a place to rent uh, that I can work out of part time. And I found a place that I bought. I still own that building today. I, I occupy one small office for myself and I lease out the remaining 5,500 square feet. So uh, somewhat launched me into my commercial real estate investing career because it was successful. I just kept going with it. And it was office space and the office space thing worked. Apartment space is probably pretty lucrative, but there aren't the value add deals out there that I'm looking for in my market right now. 
Now, that's incredible, Adam. Uh, it, you know, oftentimes it seems like people get into commercial real estate. Uh, sometimes, like there's some kind of need that they had, right? There's something that happened that kind of exposed them to this opportunity. And sounds like you did that and have ran with it. Tell me now, like, what were some of the next steps you took to kind of scale that side of the business? So prior to that project, I had been financing my single-family business with hard money lenders. Um, you know, higher rates cost a lot. If you burn, if you burn and turn them quickly, it doesn't cost you that much. But what I discovered on the commercial investing side is you can't necessarily refinance these as quickly as I could on the single family side. I knew I was going to have longer holding periods, which meant I needed to find cheaper money. And that that is kind of what launched my private equity investing side and the syndication side. And I, I started with uh, a couple small private lenders. And now I'm at the point where I have roughly 15 and growing. So that not only launched the commercial side of things, but it really helped me uh, understand the syndication side of things as well. Nice. Uh, tell me about your transition into syndication there a little more. Like, how did you learn that business? How did you take that step? It's often difficult, right? People are, there's such this like mind block, right? Our mental block taking that leap into doing a bigger deal or either, or either it's working with other people's money or, you know, there's something that's like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to. I'm just going to stick to single family. I'm just going to stick to, you know, the small multis, the things that I can handle myself. I don't, I don't want any part of that over there. How did you get past some of those limiting beliefs? So initially I thought early on, I, I didn't tell anyone that I did real estate. I kind of kept everything close to the best. No one wants to hear about everyone else's successes, but either through a podcast or bigger pockets reading, I, I completely flipped the switch on that. Uh, I started telling everyone I did real estate. And not only that, I started a social media campaign a couple years ago. Again, I didn't ever think I would be on social media, but I think what I needed on the private lending side was some confirmation that I knew what I was doing. So that kind of encouraged me to launch the social media thing, share my projects. Uh, that way, uh, potential investors or current investors can log in, they can check me out, they can see I mean business, I know what I'm doing. So um, really, the exposure from things like these podcasts really helps with the syndication side of things, because friends and family might trust you, they might know you, but the people that are outside your immediate network need more than just a little nudge to give you fifty or $100,000. So uh, the social media side of things really helped with that. Okay. So getting out there on social media helped you to expose your business, right? Grow your brand, of course. Uh, what are some things you are doing now to continue to scale your business or to continue to grow your commercial real estate side? Regarding the raising money portion of it, I was able to find five or six investors when I started fairly easily. But once you get past your immediate network or the people that rave about you and say, oh, you have to invest with this guy, those people were easy. It's once you get past that, they need a little more knowledge, I would say. So I thought initially it would be easy. I've done 80 plus deals. I'll just tell everyone my experience and they'll invest with me. Well, that didn't really happen. So it made me realize I need to sharpen up my business practices, whether it's on social media, whether something as small as sending my investors checks that aren't handwritten. Uh, now I type them. So just looking like a professional business that has their stuff together and has their systems in place makes much more of a difference than I initially did when I thought I can just get investors through my experience and expertise. I love that tip right there that you just said too. Yeah, I don't know that I... You know, this is what, 1,200 and some episodes now. I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk about typing out the check versus uh, having it handwritten. So what you're saying, though, does that kind of gives the impression to your investor that your larger business or maybe more structures in place or a larger organization? Is that what you're saying? Yep. All those things. Structures in place is a biggie. For a while, we were flying by the seat of our pants, just going fast as we could. And a lot of those structures and systems kind of fell by the wayside. But 
at some point a few years ago, I got to the point where I caught back up and I said, it's time to focus on these things because these things aren't fun, but they're going to wait, you know, they're going to pay benefits in the future. What would you say some of the crucial systems are now that you've developed, you know, looking back to then and looking to now, like, man, if, if we had these things in place from the very beginning, we would have been so much better off. Uh, you know, legal documents are a biggie. I was, again, doing things off the cuff for a little while and saying, here's the document. You can have your attorney review it, uh, things of that sort. And now I just have much more of a systematic approach to it. I say, this is the document we use for our investors. You're more than welcome to have your attorney look over it. But it's just coming from a much more professional standpoint. You know, I would say, here it is. Maybe it's right. Maybe it's not. Let me know what you think. Now I, I hand them a mortgage. I hand them a note. I give them specific details about how the process is going to work. And it, it's just a lot easier for them to understand, especially when they don't have a real estate background. No, that's awesome. Tell me a little bit about your team and maybe go back a couple of years, you know, getting into the commercial real estate business, maybe uh, your, your first hire, who that was, uh, and then, you know, to where your team is now. Prior to the commercial, I had about six years of single family business. So in terms of rehabbing, construction, property management, I pretty much had a good system in place because we had done a lot of single families. After we started commercial, again, was just winging it. So I kind contacted a commercial real estate broker not to lease out my buildings, but as you to use as somewhat of a consultant because we were doing things you know, something as simple as a triple net lease, I, I knew nothing about. So I would consult this broker. Uh, she was actually happy to do it. I bought a building from her and she gave me her card and said, you know, consult me. So I have, I, I've used that card a, a lot. And she's been a, a great tip because, you know, we were doing things profitably, but maybe not how the industry was doing them. And I don't think always have to do it how the industry is doing it. But until you know uh, what the professionals are doing, maybe you're not doing the right thing. So we have since uh, changed some of our business practices on the commercial side to kind of sharpen things up over there. Uh, another big one is a real estate appraiser. Uh, I was able to connect with a commercial real estate appraiser who I'm able to run deals by. I didn't understand how the valuation on commercial real estate worked when I first got into it. Uh, he's been a big help in that. And now I'm at the point where I really don't have to contact him. I have a nice you know, Excel sheet, you just punch in the numbers, uh, punch in the cap rate, and you can come up with a pretty consistent valuation uh, based on pro forma runs. Nice. Uh, you know, talk about, uh, you know, or actually you, you've been in single family for a number of years. Yeah. You got into commercial real estate uh, and sounds like, you know, you were creating, developing those systems processes. Uh, and then all of a sudden the, the pandemic hits, right? Uh, what happened then to your business your commer or commercial real estate business? Uh, how did that affect you? Uh, and maybe let's talk about some of the things uh, you learned or changed during the last you know year to two years. So the pandemic uh, somewhat forced my hand even further into the commercial side because I was still doing occasional single family homes. And then, you know, the deals really dried up in our market and most markets that the, the steel deals that I was getting for many years through auction sites just weren't going for cheap prices anymore. So uh, I, I started looking more into the commercial space and then the pandemic hit, which was good and bad. I would say it was good in the fact that commercial real estate was at a very steep discount during that time. We purchased a mini strip plaza that was roughly 18,000 square feet right at the height of the pandemic. It had a restaurant vacancy and then it had about 7,000 square feet vacant on the second level. So it was only about 40% occupied when we bought it. Uh, I remember posting this deal on Instagram and getting, you know, snarky remarks saying, oh, office space during the pandemic, way to go. Or, oh, restaurant space during the pandemic. That's smart. You know, the, a lot of haters out there. So I always go back to the Warren Buffett quote of be greedy when others are fearful and be fearful when others are greedy. And we were greedy during the pandemic and it, and it proved to pay off because that same building is fully leased with the restaurant uh, and the valuation on that is going to be about 4x uh, what we made for it. So. 
Are you about to start a podcast or producing a podcast and tired of doing the editing yourself? We have produced over 1,000 daily shows and the production team that I've created, they're now available to produce shows for you as well. We can do as little or as much as you need from finding and communicating with guests, preparing introductions, to editing the audio and video. You will sound better, have a more professional presence, and be able to spend your time doing other valuable tasks on your business. Let me know you're interested by emailing me directly at Whitney at LifeBridgeCapital.com. 4X, listen at that. Yeah, I love that quote as well, uh, Warren Buffett quote. And, and that's a great example of that uh, also. Speak to getting investors in, on board during a time like that uh, in a project like that during the pandemic. It was difficult. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have one of my biggest investors just be paid off on another commercial building. That was the second building he had been paid off in a row. So he had some really good confidence going into that. So he brought roughly 60 or 70% of the funds for that project. So it wasn't too difficult to fill in the rest. But at the end of the day, I just try to share the numbers. I share some of my past projects. This is what we do. This is how we do it. And transparency is big. Uh, I think a lot of people, when they actually, sometimes my wife says I I share too much, but at the end of the day, I don't want to sugarcoat or hide anything. Uh, I break it all out there and I try to be an open book because I think at the end of the day, that's what people will trust. People can sense when you're not giving them the whole picture of the pie. And and I feel like I I never hide anything. They don't want surprises, right? They don't want surprises. And while we're on that note too, about this and your investors, uh, you know, you mentioned, and I think there's many listeners who can relate to this or will soon, uh, you know, that that first five or six, uh, you know, investors, they they, they may come quickly. They're people maybe you've known from another industry or previous job. You know, they already trust you, right? They're, They're already pretty far along in that process, right? Of that no like trust. And I also add in their loyalty for our investors. Uh, but you know you, you've already had that relationship over many years. Maybe you've worked with them, or or their in laws, or you know there's something like that, right? But then all of a sudden you need more. You're wanting to do more deals, right? And you need to raise more money. What was the next step for you to start finding more investors and building those relationships? So I received you know five or six loans from those first investors that you talked about, and then when deals would come up in the pipeline, I would advertise to some, mostly my network, still a lot on Facebook and, and friends of friends and family of family. I would get a lot of phone calls of interested people. I would speak to them, tell them about the deal, and I wouldn't get any follow-up. You know, wondering, you know, what's going on. And then, you know, the more I listen to shows like yours and, and, and tips on real estate syndication is I realized I just needed to sharpen up my presentation. A phone call saying, here's the building. This is what we're going to do to it. This is what it's going to be worth. This is when you'll be paid back is not enough for people that don't know you. And in hindsight, I was naive in thinking that it was. But at the end of the day, this is $50,000 or $100,000 we're talking about. It's not chump change. So these people want to feel like they're protected. And and just me saying I'm the best and you should trust me uh, didn't fly. So our offering documents are much more professional. And we have a deal in the pipeline. We'll start sending out information about the deal through our CRM system. And that way we can kind of get some of our investors some pre-information to get their feet wet. And then by the time we need funding for the deal, they already know about the deal. They've received a couple different emails about it. And we can kind of coax them along from there. So a lot of prep work before we actually ask for the money is kind of what we're doing now. Hey, can you give a couple examples of how you sharpened that presentation a little more? So the, so, you know, as the listeners thinking about their presentation, how did you go about doing that? How did you create that skill set? Did you find somebody to help you 
build a presentation. Not everyone's going to have those skill sets uh, and maybe even on their team. How did you do that? I've looked at guys that are more experienced in this field and I saw what they were doing and I implemented it. So um, something as simple as, you know, a three or four page PDF of pictures of the building, a video of the building, and then another page with numbers on them showing the expected numbers, the expected ROI. So essentially just a presentation that you might give to a commercial bank to get a refi is the same type of thing I am doing to investors. And sometimes uh, it's really benefiting the investor, but other times I might be a little too analytical uh, and not realize that cap rate and some of these numbers investors throw around aren't understood by people that aren't in real estate. So I, I do walk a fine line between being over analytical with my numbers and just trying to present it in a dumbed down fashion that you know non-investors can understand. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's just about uh, having some type of presentation on paper with a video and some pictures so people can actually kind of see the asset and get a little more comfortable. What's been your biggest challenge over the last year, let's say, uh, you know, in the commercial real estate space and how did you overcome it? Cash out refis during the pandemic was a struggle. We had a great building, great cash flow, brought it to a bank right past the peak of the pandemic and they weren't touching anything related to restaurant space uh, or they were discounting rents 30% because of the pandemic. So we couldn't get the cash out refi number that we were looking for. So we decided uh, to sit on our heels on, on a couple properties and, and wait for things to cool off rather than take the lower cash out amount the banks were offering. And it didn't take much time for banks to get back comfortable with everything. So we overcame that struggle. And right now it's just about finding additional lenders. We're almost at the point where we have 20 uh, lenders, but we need to like you said, there's always a deal around the corner. I'd love to do two or three deals instead of one at a time. On the single family side, that was really easy to do because you know you have a hard money lender or, or smaller numbers available. But on the commercial side, you start getting in the 500,000 or a million or two or three million space and, and you realize you need a lot more uh, capital to work. Coming from say single family and million real estate, as long as you have, and, and now commercial real estate as well, uh, You know, what would you have done differently if you could go back to the very beginning or first deal? The first deal on the single family side? It doesn't have to be single family, but you know, would you have gone into a different asset class or would you start a commercial real estate in the beginning or done it just the way you did? I still think single family is a great way to start. What I've discovered since single family is commercial, but what I've discovered since commercial is there's so many asset classes in real estate, whether it's mobile home parks, which I've been really interested in for the past two years, or storage units. Uh, you know, there's just so many avenues you can take. Even with the, our, our most recent commercial deal, I knew nothing about historic tax credits going into this deal, but I got lunch with uh, the neighboring building next to me and I discovered they were doing nothing but these historic tax credit investments. And sure enough, we're actually going through the historic tax credit route on this building. So that, that's what I love about real estate. You never know what you're going to go into and or where it's going to lead you. And really just having these meetings and finding out what's available is how you discover these things. So I'm still happy I started in the single family side. I would not say that's something I wanted to do forever because it's backbreaking work, but it was a good way to get my feet wet compared to starting on a commercial building. Do you have any predictions for the next six to 12 months, Adam? You know, are you buying or selling or both or, you know, anything that you're planning for uh, just for the market, anything to happen in the market uh, soon that we should be expecting? So when I got into single family, I had planned on holding every property forever, 30, 40 years, and then maybe dying with them, passing them on. Uh, it didn't take long till I realized that maybe isn't the best strategy. So I have been selling some of my single family properties. I don't think the residential single family market is going to crash or decline, but 
I still wanted to get a few properties on the market and sold while the iron's hot, just in case something were to soften. I do expect prices to keep rising. I don't think the rate that they're rising is healthy or sustainable. But again, I, I feel really bullish on the uh, single family and commercial real estate market. What about, you know, thinking about potential downturn sometime in the future? Or, I mean, no matter where you're at in the market cycle, I, I still want to be prepared just in case, right? Nobody has that crystal ball. Nobody knows what tomorrow brings, but I still want to be as prepared as possible. How do you do that? When you're looking at a commercial piece of property, how do you just know that you're as prepared as possible for a downturn? Well, getting in at the right price helps. You can make a lot of mistakes if you get in at a low enough price. But other than that diversification, I don't want to sell all my residential or single family homes and be holding all commercial. I did not invest during the 2008 recession, but I imagine commercial properties took a major hit during that time, probably a lot of vacancy. So if you have 100% commercial and something like that happens again, then you definitely have all your eggs in one basket. So I'm all about diversification. That's why right now I'm holding single family and some commercial office space and resident storefront space. But I would love to get into, like I said, some of the other asset classes. I don't think you should do everything because it is good to focus on a, a few things and get really good at them. But again, at the same time, I think having a lot of different asset classes is going to protect you if a market downturn were to happen. What would you say right now is the biggest thing that's holding you back from, say, scaling to the next level? It's got to be capital. I have a little over a million, between one and two million uh, in private capital being used between three different projects. Sometimes I'll see a two or three million dollar building come on and I have strong interest, but I don't have the means to go grab that building as of yet. I do have quite a bit of funds available on the hard money side, but the rates are just too high for me to make that worth it. So I need to find more private capital and lower rates partnerships that can make some of these higher price deals more feasible. What are some steps maybe you're taking to, uh, maybe we've already talked about some of them, but I wanted to ask you so the listeners could hear too, uh, steps to uh, you know improve that challenge or the thing that's holding you back so you can have or have more capital available. So uh, the CRM system I talked about, which essentially is just uh, sending consistent emails out to investors or potential investors is a big one. I underestimated that for a long time, but I, I'm at the point now where I have a long email list of investors, and I think that's been huge. So I'm letting them know what's going on, uh, telling them maybe in Q1 or Q2 of next year, we anticipate having this deal. So that way, uh, when the time comes, they already have some information, and it's tailored to a larger group of people than uh, me just blasting it out to my Facebook uh, people. So I have people who have contacted me before that have, in, have expressed some interest. Um, so I make sure they stay in the loop. And what CRM uh, did you decide to use? This was nothing fancy. It was just a free one uh, that I found online. I can't even remember the name of it. But for now, it's it's meeting our needs. I know there's some some more investor-friendly CRM systems out there. And, and we've talked about you know going further into that route. But right now, uh, it's just a real basic one. Most importantly, that, that you have one. I, I guess, and even more important than that, that you use it. <laughs> yeah, there's, it's such a powerful tool. And like you said, there's many that are even free that can be so useful that are going to be better than say that Excel sheet or that notepad that you've been writing out, you know, uh, you know, where you can just have that professional presence and, and, you know, in front of your investors and ensure you're following up, you know, like Adam is doing and, and seeing uh, what's a, what's some daily habits that you are disciplined about that have helped you achieve success? Well, I, I have a uh, poster in my office that says, I uh, go hard every day. Uh, I can't say I do that every single day, but I think if you do something, Thing every single day, even if it's not going hard. If you do a little bit of something, uh, those add up. And I'm talking, you know, if, if you don't work 365 days a year, that's fine. Uh, and I don't, I wouldn't say I do, but most days, whether I'm at home or at the office, I'm doing something with the website, I'm doing something with my investment package. 
doing something towards what I want to focus on. And eventually those baby steps add up. And for a little while, you know, shortly after I had kids, I was sleep deprived. I was a little out of my funk. I, I then tore my ACL. So I had a few excuses to kind of be sidelined for a while. And it, it took me a little while to get back into that daily consistent drive. I was getting things done, but it wasn't the listening to podcasts in the car instead of radio, you know, wasting a lot of time, not improving myself for quite a while. And then I finally got back to my old ways. I'm at the point now where I'm at the gym, listening to podcasts and educational things. And it helps more than you think when you're listening to the radio, you're like, all right, well, I've heard all these podcasts before, but I pull something out of every single podcast that that helps me. And not only that, but it encourages me to maybe try something new or keep going. So even the uh, tax credit podcast I listen on, your podcast three or four weeks ago has been huge. It's been great. Awesome. I completely agree. It's the daily consistent actions, as small as it may seem at times, that they add up to very big things, uh, you know, a result of that, you know, in your business and what you're talking about now. It's, it's incredible. Uh, tell us, Adam, how do you like to give back? So I like to give back right now through helping other investors, whether they're new or experienced. Um, again, when I started starting my social media campaign, Uh, I didn't realize how much traffic I was going to get or or questions I was going to get about how to start into real estate investing. Right now, I'm not selling any coaching services or one-on-ones or anything like that. So everything is free. The benefit on my side is not only helping investors, but networking with people that might develop into a relationship down the road. One of the uh, commercial buildings we bought last year uh, would not have been purchased if I didn't get a cup of coffee with the guy five years prior to that. So uh, the guy called me up for a cup of coffee, didn't know anything about real estate investing. And then you fast forward five years later, and he has a few duplexes and fourplexes, and he wants to partner on a somewhat larger commercial building. So those meetings uh, tend to pay uh, pay back at some point in the future. And even if they don't, it's just nice helping people in network. Adam, it's been a pleasure to get to meet you and, and have you on the show. I just appreciate you sharing. Uh, it's really your experience. I mean, from single family to commercial real estate, even even some ways that you have improved your commercial real estate business to go from that uh, five or six investors to be able to raise more than that. Even now working through that, uh, you know, the issues now of, hey, I need more capital, right? Uh, maybe you have deal flow and, and but we all need, uh, we all need more capital to be able to do more deals, right? It's, uh, you got to have both of those pieces uh, to, to make it happen. Uh, but I'm grateful, uh, grateful to have you on and, and to be able to share with listeners your story. How can they get in touch with you and learn more about you? So you can visit my website, which is cleinvest.com, or you can find me on Instagram. It's Adam the Investor. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Please subscribe and like the show. Share it with your friends so we can help them as well. Don't forget, go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up and start investing in real estate today. Have a blessed day. 